hey everybody, how are we today? Good to see you guys. So I want to share a story with you that I heard that I think is just uh, amazing, and um, we'll just get us started well into our message. And uh, I don't know about you, but listen, I don't want to waste anyone's time, you know? Um, when we come together, we are believing God to touch every person's life in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you come in brokenhearted. Maybe you come in uh, having a need. Maybe you come in having to hear, you need to hear something from God, and we are believing for you that you will meet with God, that he will touch your life, and, uh, you know, we're, we're believing that he'll make us different, you know, because we just can't change ourselves. No matter what, no matter how hard we try, we can't change ourselves. So um, I, I heard this story that's actually just amazing. Um, there was this man who ended up having to beg for a living. He had lost both, both of his legs, and he would sit in the same spot day after day um, with a cup begging for money. And uh, day after day during the week, a banker would come, come by and drop a coin in his, uh, in, in his cup to help him out. And this banker would say to him, interestingly, you are a businessman. He would say to him, you are a businessman, and he would take one of the pencils from the man that was begging for money. You're a businessman, and he would go on. And as he was leaving, he would say, and the people that I do business with, I expect to, uh, to get a good, to have a good deal, to have a good interaction with my money and their product. And so time goes on. He's doing this day after day after day. He's speaking to this man who's begging for money. And um, there came a point in time where the man was no longer on the sidewalk near the banker's work. And he, he was curious as to what happened, although he never found out. And time goes on. He totally forgot about the man begging for money. Until one day he walked into a local business and he saw the man had a shop. It was obvious that he was now a businessman. And he went up to him, and he said, what in the world is going on? He says, I want to tell you, sir, that you kept speaking that I was a businessman, and you would take one of my pencils as an exchange for, um, for the money that you gave me. You would take one of my pencils. And after a while, I began to believe that I was a businessman, and I saw a way out from my condition of having to sit on the street corner and beg for money day after day after day. And I want to thank you because the thing that you spoke to me changed how I looked at myself. It changed how I viewed myself. My self-worth changed to the point where I opened my own business and I no longer have to beg for money. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Now, now I want to talk to you today. We've been in a series called Heroes. And... Uh, in this particular series, we've been talking about some of the heroes of the New Testament, heroes that we find in the New Testament um, that, that we can look at and we can learn from and we can, we can uh, look at their character, characteristics in life and, and, and hope and pray that we could adopt some of those characteristics so that we could be used by God as mightily as they were. And today I want to look, look at a man named Barnabas. 
I want to look at a man named Barnabas, and I want to talk to you today about Barnabas and the power of encouragement. Because encouragement is an extremely powerful tool that we all have access to. Barnabas and the power of encouragement. Interestingly, Barnabas really isn't his real name. Uh, we, we see this gentleman introduced first in Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, he's introduced as a, a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph. His real name is Joseph. But the apostles named him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Could you imagine someone saying, you know what, I'm not going to call you David anymore. I am going to call you, uh, you know, a guy who encourages. I'm going to call you a guy who brings joy to my life. I'm going to give you a name that's not your name because the characteristics in your life are so strong that it changes people that you're around. That is Barnabas. In fact, the very first thing that we see in this man's life after he's introduced as the son of encouragement is that he sold one of his fields that he owned and, and took the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet because he cared so much for the needs uh, of the Christians in his life and the Christians that, that he uh, had been introduced to and the growing population of Christianity in Jerusalem. And so this guy Barnabas, we're going to dig apart his life. We're going to look at him. Um, I want to start off by, by talking about the word encourage or what it means to encourage. Here's what the definition of it is. Encourage means to inspire with courage, to bring courage to somebody's life, to lift them up, to spur them on, to help them move ahead, to strengthen them. That's what, that's what courage means. And, and I want to tell you something very, very seriously. Uh, this lesson can come at no greater time in the life of our nation, in the life of this church, uh, we, we need to, to glean from this guy Barnabas because, you know, it's, it's a really powerful thing to encourage. And I think we can grow in this because I believe, in my opinion, that this is one of the things that's lacking in the body of Christ. And so as a church, my heart is that we become a church, uh, that, it, that our culture, our culture is just entangled in this idea of encouragement. I, I, am, I am here to encourage I'm going to encourage people that come into my life. There's something powerful about running into someone who's an encourager, isn't there? Like you just leave different. Well, the Bible, the New Testament, has a lot to say uh, about encouragement, but I want, to, I want to flip it for a minute because the opposite of encouragement is discouragement. And we don't have to go too far to find people who are discouraged, do we? You know, I mean, we could we just discourage because of situations in our family, discouraged because of relationships with our friends. I mean, you know, maybe we had expectations of them. They let us down. Maybe they have expectations of us. We let them down. There's, there's, there's division. Um, there's broken trust. There's things like that. We could, have, we could be discouraged because of relationships in our lives. We could, we could be discouraged at God because we had expectations of him that he has yet to meet. And we doubt that he'll ever meet them. And, you know, we could be discouraged. We could be upset about that. We could be disappointed in God. We, we could be discouraged not only in, in family relationships in God. We could be discouraged in ourselves, at ourselves, right? Sometimes failure comes along. We, we have these, these expectations that we're going to do great things. I think of Peter in the New Testament. Peter was uh, this guy that was very bold and outspoken 
And he said something to Jesus. He said, you know what? I, I will never deny you. I, I, will, I will die for you. And Jesus responds, you know what? You're going to deny me three times tonight before the cock crows, before the rooster crows. And Peter, after that all went down, was very disappointed in himself. He needed to be restored, but sometimes we let ourselves down. We fail our own expectations. Or the decisions, the choices, the things we say, the things we do uh, hurt other people, and we get, we, we get disappointed at ourselves. Life, life circumstances can be another source of discouragement. You know, we're sick, or we're still sick. We're broke, or we're still broke. Right? Uh, you know, is there, any, is there ever going to be an opportunity for me to grow to get past this, you know, this feeling, you know, I want to I want to get promoted. I want to be more than who I am now and I feel limited. I get discouraged. And so I want to talk to you about encouragement. There's a powerful quote I'll share with you before we open the scriptures. This guy named William Arthur Ward, he was just uh, famous for having very catch, catchy type of phrases that make a lot of sense. He says this, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget. Encouragement is a powerful, powerful tool. And so in Hebrews, the writer says something here in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And um, if you have a smart device, a pad, a phone, you can look up all the notes for this message in the app. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So here's the author identifying uh, sin and unbelief in a person's heart that will cause someone to walk away from God. Like, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm giving up. I'm quitting. I'm done with this relationship thing. Look what he says, what he goes on to say. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Without getting deep into this particular verse, we can see that encouragement is a tool that will keep people from walking away from God. Encouragement is a tool that will keep people from being deceived and falling in the trap of a lie, and then walking into sin, and turning their back on God. Encur- encouragement is a powerful tool. In Hebrews chapter 10, just another quick passage, I'll share with you. Verses 24 and 25, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How can we, how can we propel someone into the direction of their life that God has called them? How can we push someone forward and help them? Let us consider that, he says. Not giving up meeting together as some some are in the habit of doing. Maybe I'll just change my message to this topic right here. Not giving up meeting together. Let's talk about that for a minute. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, some of us, we we view church from a consumeristic mindset. What can I get? What do they got for me? You know, and if, and if we continue in that, the problem is there's always something better. 
There's always something better. You can get something better down the street. There's a lot of good churches in the area. That's true. There's a lot of good churches in the area. If we view church from a consumeristic mindset, that means it's about me. It's all about me. What are you going to give to me? What do you have to offer me? What can I get from you? And what we're seeing in this passage is something totally opposite. He's saying that we need to be encouraging one another. And if we give up meeting together, then people that are supposed to be encouraged are not going to be encouraged. Do you see that? How can we spur one another on toward loving abuse? By being present and encouraging people. You know, you never know that day you just feel tired. Maybe you didn't sleep well. Um, Maybe you just don't feel like going to church. That day, someone absolutely positively needed to run into you. You just never know when you go to church broken. Maybe you, maybe you, maybe you're upset because you had a fight with your spouse, or your kids have been unruly, or there's something going on in life. You never know. Showing up to church as opposed to staying home and sulking, what could happen? Maybe God has a message to encourage you through someone. And the reality is, I think a lot of times we miss it because we choose something that's more uh, pleasurable to us as it relates to what is more comfortable for us. Well, my bed's very comfortable as well. You know what I mean? But the reality is, I know there's people that need something that I got. And I need what you got. And so when we view church as, like, what is in it for me, we miss out on the whole premise and the whole idea that God had about a family coming together to stand with each other, to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to help each other out. And we see in this guy Barnabas that very thing. Um, and so let's, let's begin to look at some of, some of the life of Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who was named by his mom and dad, Joseph. Um, Barnabas, we, in fact, we can learn so much. I'm only actually uh, able to cover four quick and easy points. But we can really learn so much from him. The first thing I want to say to you is this. Uh, we can encourage people by speaking words of life to them. Listen to me. People need to hear the words of life that come out of your mouth. It's not enough that you just think them. Oh, she is so amazing. I, I love when she prays. Or, you know, that guy is so, he's so, he just, he carries such a powerful presence about him in the Lord. And whenever I'm around those people, man, I just sense the presence of the Lord. It's not enough that you think it. It is important that we begin to speak words of life. There's something powerful about the words that come from our mouth. In Acts chapter 11, we're going to look at this little story about uh, Barnabas. And we'll see this this thing in action. And so here's the backdrop. The backdrop is this. Um, there was this persecution going on in the church. Stephen had been martyred. They threw stones at him. This persecution started. This guy Saul rises up, and he's leading the persecution. The persecution is putting uh, Christians in jail. They're, they're dispersing from Jerusalem because it's no longer safe to live there. And so they're going as far as they can away from this place, this, this central place uh, of persecution. And people begin to get scattered. Well, when these people begin to scatter to other cities, they begin sharing the word of the Lord. 
And the word of the Lord is so powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful that people are getting saved, both Jews and Greeks, both people who were of Jewish origin and people that were not. And so we pick up the story here in Acts 11, verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So here's Barnabas. Like he's, they're like, there's some great things happening, Barnabas. You're going. You're going to go do some stuff over there. So they send Barnabas to this city called Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all, the, all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was glad. He saw, did you, ever, did you ever see God at work? And doesn't that warm your heart to say, man, this is amazing. Come on. I, I love to see God change people's lives. I, I love to see God change and, and touch people so that they become different, just so that they surrender. And this is what he saw when he goes to the city called Antioch. And it goes on to say this passage, it says, he, meaning Barnabas, was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Let me tell you something. Barnabas is one of the most important figures in the New Testament. And yet he's probably the most least, he, he gets the least amount of respect for the work that he did in the New Testament. Barnabas is amazing. So, so he, I just want to key in on that phrase that, that he was glad what he saw and he encouraged them. He encouraged them to remain faithful and true to the Lord with all their heart. And what does that look like? It's like, man, this is amazing what God has done in your heart. Go after him all the more. I once heard a, a guy about a guy named Kenneth Hagin. Um, and, and he was just passionate for Jesus. And, and he's left a legacy and all that stuff. But um, some of his, the people that were sort of sons and spiritual sons and daughters under him would, would, uh, would talk to him. And he'd be like, how you doing? He's like, uh, you know, the kids, the, the spiritual sons and daughters would say, I'm doing really good. You know, God's doing a, doing a great work. I'm fasting. I'm seeking God's face. And he says, he would say something like, well, how, how much are you fasting? Are you fasting? I fasted for five days and, and I hated it. I, I want to fast ten, ten days max. And, and it wasn't like this legalistic thing. He's just saying, I want you to go more after God. I want you to go even more in for God. I had this guy in my life years ago when we lived in Colorado that was like this Barnabas for me. His name was his name um, was Lamar, and it's cool because my family just went back to Colorado last month, July, and I saw him for the first time in 22 years. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but it's all good. Um, but anyway, I was at a place where I was a little bit wavering in my faith when I lived there, to be honest with you, and he would be like this. He'd be like, you know what? I want to I want to challenge you to remain faithful to God. Uh, come on, man. Let's go to Bible study. Let's read the Word of God together. Hey, Jim, I saw that you haven't been in church. What's going on? And he kept challenging me and challenging me and challenging me. If you've ever had that happen to you in the moment, it's annoying, to be honest. But it, it helps, and we need that. We need people to look out for us. We need people to care about our spiritual well-being. It's not like, oh, well, they're gone. They're, they're not here. It's no big deal. And you know what the people that are not there feel? 
they feel like, well, no one cares anyway. Why should I bother going? That, that is not family. So last month in July, we go to Colorado Springs, and he was the first person uh, that I had, that we got a chance to see. He was working. He just took some time off from work to um, just say hi to us, took some pictures, gave us a hug. And I, I told him, I said, you made a difference in my life. You made a difference in my life. You know, we need people like that in our lives. We need people to encourage us. So encouragement is this powerful tool. In Proverbs, it says this, verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 25. It says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Maybe you're sitting here discouraged today, you know. Maybe, maybe you're anxious about something in life. Maybe, maybe some things that uh, it exist that are weighing you down. But a kind word, some, something that God has brought someone here to deliver to you, can cheer you up, can help you get through, can help you move on. That's the power of encouragement. We all, we all need uh, encouragement in our lives. And this, this is another reason why we value prophecy here. The Bible says that prophecy exists to edify or build up, encourage, and comfort. That's what Paul says in the, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. He said prophecy exists to build a person up, to encourage them, and to bring comfort to them. And prophecy is hearing from God, a person hearing from God, and bringing it to an individual or to a church family. Or even further, you know, there are prophets, national prophets and such like that. But we value prophecy because when you get a word, if it's a word from God, you're going to feel good about yourself. You're going you're gonna to go from, you know, your head down, dragging your feet a little bit, to, man, oh, heads up, chest out, I'm feeling good now because God has, that was from God right there, you know? And we, we teach people how to hear from God and speak the word of God into people's lives because we want people to be built up, encouraged, and comforted. Right? We, we want to see that. There's something that, it's just life-giving. It's good for our souls. There's so many things that tear apart our souls, that tear us down, that are destructive to us. But the life, the life that God gives through his children can bring life. So, so the first thing about encouragement that we see in Barnabas is that uh, we can encourage people by speaking words of life to them. Now, let me, let me just bring a caution, because all of us are students now, right? Listen, some of us think that straight-up truth is word of life. It can be, but it could also be destructive. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Paul writes, I think it's in Timothy, um, that, that uh, we are to speak words of truth seasoned with grace. So, you know, how we deliver the message is important, right? And our primary motivation should be love and encouragement. We, we should, it should be our goal that people leave our presence with a smile on their face. Amen? There's been too much religion tearing people apart. We don't need none of that. Religion kills. We don't want none of that. Okay? We want to bring life to people. So we encourage people by speaking words that give life. Secondly, if you're taking notes, we encourage people by believing in them. Isn't it amazing when someone believes in you? I mean, we, we have so much doubt about ourselves anyway, don't we? 
let's just be honest. We question our confidence. We struggle sometimes with who we are. We need people that believe in us. Well, Barnabas was the kind of guy that believed in people. And if we continue that passage that we started in Acts chapter 11, we go to verse 25. Uh, just to just to pick up where the story left off, Barnabas is sent by the church, the the apostles in Jerusalem, to this city called Antioch because there's this uh, there's this movement of God taking place there. All these people are getting saved. Barnabas is being used mightily. It said he was a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and many people are coming to the Lord. And there's just this movement of God. It's powerful and amazing. And you know, he could have just continued on, right? He could have just continued doing what he was doing. But look at what he does. You've got to see this. Acts eleven twenty five. it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. What? You've got a movement. You are leading a movement. Why are you trying to get somebody else involved in your movement? I mean, you could have had your name and your picture on the billboards. You could have been, all your quotes been being tweeted and, and uh, you know, your pictures, your name being made famous. But he goes and gets Saul in Tarsus. It goes on to say, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So this movement's taking place with Barnabas, and he's like, Paul, come on, man, you've got to join in. I believe in you. I, I want to see you succeed. Come, help me in this work. There, there's something so powerful about having uh, people believe in us. I heard this story about this, this football coach at a university in the United States. And um, he had this tradition that whenever, whenever the season started, he would meet with each and every one of his players. New players, old players, he would meet with every single one of them. True story. And, and so he would sit down one-on-one -on -one with them. And he would say something like this. Your abilities are very impressive to me. I am confident that you, if you do good this year, you have a shot to make it to the National Football League. He would say this to every single player. And wouldn't you know it, this coach, this one coach, had the most players make it to the NFL than any other football team in all of the, all of the college NCAA football teams. This coach provided more players to the NFL than any other team. Why do you think that is? Because he spoke words of life. He encouraged them. He believed in them. Some of them had no shot in the world, but he, he looked them square in the eye and said, I believe in you, man. I am impressed with what you I'm impressed with what you bring to the table. And I believe if you work hard enough, you can get to your ultimate goal, the NFL. That's powerful. That's powerful. Believe the power of belief. Now listen, we believe in our own children. That's why we'll say, you know, if you really want to be president someday, little Johnny, you can be president. Right? We 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 say that. We believe in our kids. We, we speak life over them. You, you're a leader. You're three years old and you got little kids following you. You are a leader. We speak life over them. We believe in them. 
But when it comes to the body of Christ, I believe God is calling us to expand our vision to say, listen, I, I know you've struggled, but I believe in you. I know you, you can succeed in life. I know you can get to where you want. I know you can accomplish the goals that God has laid on your heart and, and fulfill the dreams that God has made for you. I believe in you. You can do this. And I believe when we begin to speak with our mouths these powerful statements of encouragement, it's going to begin to change people's lives around us. The power of encouragement. Uh, we need to walk in this. And I want to say something just in honor of Dr. Lee, the founder and pastor of this church. He believed in me, and he believed in my wife. Without that belief, we would not be here today. To be honest with you, I hated speaking publicly. It scared me to death. I hated standing before people. My knees would knock. But he kept on encouraging, you can do this. I believe in you. You've got this. God is telling me, I'm Moses and you're Joshua, and I'm to raise you up. I'm like, I don't want to be Joshua. I don't want to be raised up. But, but, but his, his word prevailed over me. And because of him, we are here today. And there's something about the power of believing in people. Yeah. So, so uh, we encourage people by speaking words of life over them. We encourage people, and we saw in Barnabas, that he left that city where there's this mighty move of God and went all the way back uh, to Tarsus, went to Tarsus to get Saul and said, come, you've, you've got to see what's going on and I want you to be with me in this work. Thirdly, we encourage people by standing up for them. We encourage people by standing up for them. You've got to see this passage in Acts 9. Acts 9 takes place uh, in a time Shortly after, God had knocked Saul off of his high horse. This was the guy that was persecuting the church. This was the guy that was going to Damascus to arrest people, to, to persecute them because they were Christians. Because his religion didn't agree with the belief systems of Christianity. And so he had letters of authority that allowed him to leave Jerusalem and go to places where there were Christians and abuse them in a variety of ways. Well, God knocks Saul off of his high horse and he's blinded and Jesus speaks to him and he ends up at this house of Judas on Straight Street and this guy named Ananias comes and lays hands on him and scales fall from his eyes. He can see, he's baptized, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit and shortly thereafter he begins preaching to the Jews in Damascus about this gospel, about this Savior, Jesus Christ. And these Jews get upset. Some of them begin to follow Jesus Christ. Others get upset and they want to kill him. And so his disciples, his friends, lowered him in a basket um, through the wall so that he could escape Damascus alive. He ends up in Jerusalem, and that's where we pick up the story in, in uh, Acts 9. You've got to see uh, verse 26. It says this, When he came... To Jerusalem, this is Saul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Keep in mind, this is the terrorist. This is the guy that wanted to arrest them and kill them. They were all afraid of them, which makes sense, right? They're all afraid of him. 
it goes on to say they were not they didn't believe that he really was a disciple like he was he was posing as a disciple to take advantage of them that's what they thought but barnabas verse 27 but barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. We encourage people by standing up for them. We encourage people by having their back. You know, this guy Barnabas took a great risk. His name was at stake. He could have been arrested if it wasn't legit that, uh, that Saul was a Christian. Um, he... He went before the apostles. He could have been condemned by them. You know, you know, you're 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 a false teacher. How could you believe this guy? And you bring this into modern day vernacular. Can you imagine someone like the head of ISIS coming to you and saying, I had a dream about a man in white right now? What are you gonna do? I mean, is, is, is our God not big enough to do something like that? I mean, what if, what if one day or one afternoon the enemy of Christ now becomes a friend of Christ and you are smack dab in the middle of this whole thing? What are you going to do? Well, I could tell you what Barnabas did. He, he had his back. He had Saul's back, and he stood up for Saul. It's as if God was saying, you know, is there anyone that's going to stand up for my servant? Is there anyone out there that can, that can vouch for him that he is now a follower of Jesus Christ? And Barbara stands up and says, I got this. I got this. You count me in. I'll take care of this guy. And Barnabas stands up and takes care of the situation. And I want to say this. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I have people in my life that stand up for me. You know, being in ministry is not easy all the time. There's always people out there that, uh, you know, have the idea that they would do it differently and better. Or, you know, they don't like what is said or what is done. And so they begin to talk about it with people. You know, if I, well, if I was Pastor Jim or if I was the pastor, you know, I would do this. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't do things right all the time. I do my best, right? Uh, but we all make mistakes trusting God. I think that's part of the process of learning about him. But I would say, you know, I, I love when people stand up and say, you know, if you've got a problem, why don't you just go talk to him? Why do you got to sit there and talk about him? You know, I, I love when people stand up for me, and I know you would love for pe when people stood up for you. It's powerful to know that people have your back. It's powerful to know that you have a family around you that is going to believe the best about you first and check it out to see if what they're hearing is actually true and then help you, not turn their back on you, help you. Because we're very quick in this culture and society to turn our back on people, write people off, cut them out. That's it, I'm done with you, you know, and give up on people. And there's something powerful to know, you know, about knowing, listen, I'm standing with you. I'm standing with you through this. You may have made dumb mistakes in life, but I'm with you, you know. You may have made uh, embarrassing choices, but we can walk through this. We can get through this. That's family right there, you know. That's family. 
So um, we encourage people by standing up for them. When I say the word family, I can't help but think about uh, a typical family. You know, typical families typically are at their throats, you know, at each other's throats. They're always, you know, got this going on, dealing with this issue, battling about this. But let me tell you, you cross one of those family members and the blood factor kicks in, boy, you are in trouble. Do you understand? Has anyone ever experienced that? You know, you hear all this bad stuff, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, someone's messing with my sister. Oh, boy, watch out. I'll cut them. I'll take them down. It's, it's over for them. Don't mess with my sister. You mess with me, too. That's what it's like in family. That's what I'm talking about right here. Standing up for one another. Standing up for one another. Here's the last thought that I have related to Barnabas' life. Because he is a real hero. We encourage people by giving them another chance. We encourage people by giving them another chance. Um, you know, I started to say, you know, we're quick to write people off, cut them out of our lives, give up on them, doubt them, believe the worst for them. But Barnabas did not do this. In Acts 15, <coughs> we see that Barnabas and Saul are still working together. And at this time, Barnabas, who had Saul's back, who believed in him, now has taken a back seat to Saul because Saul, who has now become Paul, is more prominent in ministry. You see this? It's fascinating in the scriptures because up through uh, chapter 13, it's, it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, when they're, when they're being addressed in scriptures. And then after a certain point in, in Acts 13, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Check that out for yourself. It's amazing. There's this transition, and the Holy Spirit documented this transition where Paul rose up above the one who was a spiritual covering, Barnabas, and began to do his own thing, not under the covering of Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas began to do this uh, missions work. And we pick up in Acts 15, verse 36, where it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Verse 37, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And so here's this argument over this guy called John, or this guy named John called Mark. Let me back up and give you a scriptural place. This guy named Joseph called Barnabas. It's, uh, so this guy named John called Mark had let Paul down, you know. He had bailed on him. They're on this missionary journey. He bailed on him. And Paul was very, very upset about it. And we have people bail on us. They let us down. They make commitments to us. They say they'll be there. They say they'll take care of something. They say they've got our back. And, and, and they bail. But look at, look at the difference. I want you to see that um, Paul labeled this guy a failure, a quitter. And the encourager in Barnabas says, 
But doesn't he deserve another chance? Doesn't, doesn't he deserve a second chance? I mean, come on. He's made a mistake. And so, so the encourager rises up in him. And interestingly, this is the last time we see Barnabas' name in the entire Bible. Where the encourager is standing up for someone who is labeled a failure and a critic. Because he turned over the ministry from, from leading something with partnership with Paul. He said, I'm willing to sacrifice my partnership in order to stand for someone who's got a bad label and bring them up. To give them a second chance. I'm willing to stand with this guy, John, called Mark. And interestingly enough, that had an impact on Paul because Paul's in prison and it's, he's nearing his execution and he writes in 2 Timothy, this is the last verse I'll share with you. He's nearing his execution. It's the end of his life. And you know at the end of your life you want important people around you. He writes this to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. You see that? Only Luke is with me. He's writing to his spiritual son Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Barnabas said, you know what? People deserve another chance. People deserve another chance. People, you know, they may fail. They may let you down. They, you know, they, they may drop the ball, make mistakes, but they deserve another chance. Your family member deserves another chance. Your friend who you haven't talked to in a while deserves another chance. Because part of this whole core principle of encouragement is giving people another chance. And so we see in the life of Barnabas that, um, and by the way, this guy Mark was truly, truly useful. He ended up writing one of the Gospels. I wonder if that Gospel ever gets written if Barnabas doesn't stand in the gap. So we have four Gospels. One of them's written by Mark. Very powerful gospel. And Barnabas stood up for him. So, so we, we don't want to be the kind of people to give up on people if they make a mistake. Write them off. Cut them out of our lives. We want to be the kind of people to forgive, move on, and give them another chance. So I want to just close with a few thoughts related to Barnabas and the power of encouragement. I think you would agree with me that we need this to be a prominent characteristic in this church. And there are people that are dragging their feet getting in here, not necessarily because they don't want to be here, although some, for some that's true, but for others it's because they got beat up all week. And the last thing they need is to get beat up in church. Right? They need to be encouraged. They need a smile. I'm not talking about false Christianity. I, I'm talking about real relationship where, where we can look people in the eye and say, you know what? I believe in you. I, I know there's struggles going on. I know you, you failed again. I, I know you're going through it. But listen, man, let's get through this together. Let, let's meet up in the middle of the week and grab coffee. Let's, let's pray together. Let, let's study the Word of God together. Let's get together because I want you to know that I'm with you. You do not stand alone. 
I want you to know that I care about what you're dealing with in life. I want you to know that I'm here. And God would say the same thing. God says, I see you. I see what you're dealing with. I, I, I see what you've gone through. Just know I've got, I've got stuff for you that can help you. Don't give up. Don't let go. Keep going. And so, you know, in our world and in our culture in this nation, it's, it's natural to want to be the top dog. It's natural to want to be prominent and have your name be made famous. There's a lot of people that would love to be Paul. When you look at what Paul accomplished, wrote 13 books of the New Testament out of 27. He almost wrote half of the New Testament. He went on multiple missionary journeys. I mean, he touched handkerchiefs, and they were taken to people. And, and people who were sick or afflicted of the enemy were set free and healed. I mean, this guy is a prominent guy, Paul. There's a lot of people that would like to be Paul. But the reality is there would never be a Paul without a Barnabas. What would happen if Barnabas said, you know what? It's too much of a risk. I'm going to, protect, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to protect me. You know, find someone else to go to that guy, Saul, over there. No, he stood up. He stood for him. He took a risk. He believed in him. And that's the kind of people that God is calling this church to be. I know we can change this city. I know we can change central New York. But it comes, it comes down to ordinary people rising up and say, you know what? I don't care if no one else rises up. I'm going to count me in. And so for some of us, it's time to step up and be like Barnabas in that way. For others, you know what? You come in here discouraged. And I want you to know that God wants to meet with you to encourage you. There'll be an altar uh, ministry team that would love to pray for you. We've been, I've been believing God that he's going to give prophetic words to just encourage you or just words of encouragement that you can leave here with some sense of encouragement today. And finally, if you're here today and you've never personally met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if, you, if you're in a place where maybe you you prayed some prayer some time ago, but you're, you know, I mean, if you came right down to it, you're not living your life for him. I, I would challenge you like Lamar challenged me. Come on. What's going, what are you doing? You know, heaven and hell are a reality. And you can make a choice to forever write your name in the Lamb's book of life and have your name written in heaven. And that day, whenever that day comes, You'll stand and see him face to face because of what Jesus did for you and his great love for you. There'll be people here that would love to talk to you about that. I would personally love to talk to you if you have questions. But today is a day where God wants to move in our lives. For us to rise up and say, man, I am going to seek to be used by you as an encourager. For us, if we're discouraged, to get some help in that area. Not walk in, walk out, and not talk to people. And for us to surrender our lives to Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's just let's take a moment before we close and ask God what he's saying to us personally. But just, I just invite you to close your eyes. There's going to be no trickery here. There's not going to be anything going on. Let's just, let's just focus. We do this to focus on God and not be distracted.
And I'm just going to take a minute and pray. Father, today, we invite you to speak. What are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? If your heart's open, he'll, he'll speak. He'll, he'll show you what he's trying to reach into your heart. What are you saying? Sometimes the Lord just speaks through people, and he communicates that to the body. So we just receive that. We receive that from the Lord. And God, we just we thank you for what you're doing, God. We pray that this word, the seed of this word is planted deeply in our hearts. God, that we see ourselves like Barnabas saw himself, as someone who can make a difference. And Father, I bless you. I bless your people, God. Father, we, we, we thank you for what you're doing, God. We give you all the praise, and we declare that you're good. We say, have your way in our lives, in Jesus' name. So we want to dismiss you. God bless you. There'll be people here that would love to minister to you if you want to receive ministry. Have yourself a great week. We love you.